Go ahead and take your seats. You can open up your Bibles to Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. And we're continuing our series this morning based on the idea that we all ought to desire to be transformed. And we've been looking at various topics pertaining to life and godliness. And we've been examining the, the Word of God to see what uh, exactly we can be learning in order to think God's way instead of the world's way so that we can go deeper in offering our lives as a worshipful sacrifice to him. The title of this morning's message is Learning to Think Biblically About Soul Care. Learning to Think Biblically About Soul Care. And as I was uh, reading this week and preparing for this message, I, I came across just this short but, but powerful and convicting statement that I want to share with you all, and it's this, the notion that we have life figured out is absurd. The notion that we have life figured out is absurd, and, and certainly this is true. I, I trust that it rings true in your heart as it rings true in mine. I mean, if, if we're honest, we all have to admit that none of us has life figured out. None of us have life figured out. And so what are we to do? That is the question of the hour. What are we to do? How are we to get through life's difficulties? How are we to get some care for our souls? And uh, as I consider the reality that, that none of us have life figured out, I, I think of the, the other notion that the notion that we're meant to maybe get through life on our own, apart from any help or any care, is equally absurd. Not because I pronounce it to be, but because that's what the scriptures say. We need help. We need care. And, and so we're going to look at this topic of soul care this morning. And, and maybe um, it'd be helpful for you to, to understand kind of what we mean by soul care, what we're talking about basically is, is counseling, Christian counseling, the, the arena of offering uh, insight from one to another in order to help with the things that we go through in this life. We're going to continue our quest to think biblically by following a simple outline this morning. In our time together, we're going to focus on what the Bible says about the care of souls by asking three simple questions. We're going to ask, what is the soul? What is wrong with the soul? And what is God's design for help? Okay, so that's going to be the track that we run on together this morning. First question, what is the soul? If we're going to talk about caring for the soul, we need to have a common understanding of what it is that we're talking about. And just as with many things, many, many ideas, many concepts in this life, uh, it's helpful, uh, as far as a definition goes, uh, to maybe begin with describing what such a thing is for. The most important explanation that we might offer is that the soul is that part of our personhood with which we are meant to worship God. We see this in Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew 22, Jesus is nearing the end of his earthly ministry and he is encountering, maybe in a more frequent way, the opposition of the religious elite of his day. He's, he's 
and, and the political elite as well. He's, he's running into the Pharisees and the, and the Herodians and the Sadducees and the lawyers and they're all coming at him and their goal is to entangle him with words, the scriptures say. See, they wanted to get him caught in, in saying something that was going to uh, entrap him, that was going to make him stumble. And of course, we know that this was never the case with Jesus in verse 34, if you look at uh, chapter 22 and verse 34, it says that when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had been silenced, or that he, sorry, he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is Jesus' explanation for what life is all about. So on one hand, maybe life isn't all that complicated. Maybe figuring life out isn't so hard. I mean, Jesus tells us here in just one short verse that life is all about loving God with our entire beings. But we also know that on the other hand, it isn't all that easy. It isn't all that easy. We need to ask, as Jesus gives kind of this threefold description, heart, soul, mind, what, what is he talking about here? Is he talking about different parts of a person? Is he talking about the same thing? And uh, I would just offer to you that a comprehensive reading of the Scriptures reveals that these terms are used together in poetic parallelism to express the same idea in different ways. And the idea is the innermost depth of man. Who a person is in their underlying core, the entire person. And so just as we can describe a, a person both in uh, material, you know, physical ways and immaterial ways, speaking of one and the same person, we can also speak of, of the soul coming from different angles, different descriptions, even using different words to describe that one immaterial part of man. We have here, when we consider the soul, that part of us that is not seen. Oftentimes in the scriptures, the word life is just used in, in this um, place, translated for this word soul, life in its place. It's, it's an interchangeable term. Often in Scripture, as Jesus does here, we, we see the heart or the soul or the mind all, all being used interchangeably together to describe that one immaterial aspect of man. And, and so this is a different um, viewpoint of the soul of man than is sometimes uh, bought into in the world. Some, sometimes it's widely accepted as just true that the inner man is divided up into different independent departments. You know, over here we've got uh, spirituality and religion, and, and over here we've got the intellect and thinking and reasoning, and over here we've, we've got maybe the emotions. Well, the Scriptures, that, that is alien to the Scriptures. The Scriptures sees our inner being as one person made up of a lot of uh, different faculties. In... Uh, in approximately 47 and a half hours, I guess that's not so approximate, in precisely 47 and a half hours, give or take 10 minutes, I'm going to be eating a piece of cheesecake. 
And that might not uh, seem like a big deal to some of you, but, but because of certain things uh, with my physical body, I've got to plan these things out pretty far in advance. In fact, all of July, I've been looking forward to this piece of cheesecake on Tuesday at lunchtime. I love cheesecake. And so this week, I've been thinking a lot about cheesecake. And, and, and as I thought of the inner man, this analogy came to mind. And, and bear with me, it's not, it's not perfect. But you know those, um, those sampler packs of cheesecake you get maybe at M&M Meats or Costco where you get you know, four different types of cheesecake in one box? And you might get the caramel, the blueberry, you know, the, the strawberry, the original. Well, listen, our, our inner man is not like that. Our inner man, if I could say this, is like one cheesecake. <laughs> and we've got the sugar and the, the, the cheese and the eggs and, of course, the chocolate. It's a chocolate cheesecake. And, and we see, right, the inner man made up of various different types of, of faculties, but it's all one and the same. And that's important for, for our message this morning. That's important to realize. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul refers to this unseen part of our identity as the inner man. And a comprehensive look at Scripture informs our definition of what the soul is by looking at the various contexts in, in which the writers of Scripture talk about the inner man, the unseen person. As we read Scripture, we see that coming from the soul are the thoughts of man. Man's reasoning, his intellect and knowledge and understanding. We see that the human will is, is of the realm of the soul. Man's conscience, the, the questions that we come up with come from our heart. Our, our memories are formed and recalled on the, on the level of our soul. Our imagination runs free. Our interests are formed. Our desires are, are welled up within us, our intentions, our plans, our decisions. This is all part of the soul, our affections, our emotions, and most importantly, what we see here in Matthew 22, what comes out of our soul is worship and love for God. With so many different faculties combining to talk about the makeup of our soul, it's little wonder that uh, the heart or the soul has been called the mission control center of the whole human being. Who can understand the heart, Jeremiah asks. Solomon says, man's heart is like deep water. David said, the inward mind and heart are, of a man are deep. Who can understand it? We, we um, have such a limited understanding of our own hearts, of our own souls, of, of all the interworkings of our inner man. And yet there is one who knows us perfectly. There is one who knows the innermost thoughts, desires, joys of our soul. One who, who knows where our love is. And of course, that is the Lord God in heaven. Psalm 139, the psalmist says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. And what does God call us to? What does He tell us that our soul is to be doing but loving Him? Next question we want to ask as we're exploring what the Scriptures say about soul care is, is this. What is wrong with the soul? What is wrong with the soul? 
I mean, Jesus tells us this is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So it's not too difficult for us to put our finger on what exactly is wrong with the soul. We don't love God with all of our beings. We have a hard time giving our full devotion to the Lord. Now I need to speak um, to you this morning. Um, maybe you were here for last week's message. Maybe you weren't. But what we talked about is, is our identity if we're found in Jesus Christ and our identity if we're not found in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you're with us and, and you do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, I have to lovingly tell you with, with the truth from God's word that, that not only do you have a hard time, a difficult time loving God, you actually don't love God at all. Your soul, as far as a relationship with God is concerned, is dead. It's completely corrupt. It's unable and unwilling to love God. So soul care for you begins with first coming to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if you want to know the Father, you need to know me. You need to trust in me. See, the message of Jesus Christ is, is that we need a Savior and that He's the Savior. The message of Jesus Christ is, is that we owe a penalty to God for our infinite sin, our, our offenses to Him, for our failure to love Him. And He sent His Son to pay the price for our redemption that we might be reconciled to God, that we would have a relationship with Him, that we would be able to love Him in any way whatsoever. God says, if you come to me through faith in my son Jesus Christ, I will take out your old heart. I will remove your, your old soul, your old self, and I will replace it with a new heart. A, a heart that's alive for me. A, a heart that loves me. A heart that wants to follow me. And even with that new heart, even with that new heart, we can grow weary and we can choose sin. Like the Israelites who were saved by God out of Egypt, right? He opened up the sea. He, he led them through on dry land. He promised them a blessing. And yet they had to wait a little while. And even in just those first beginning days, they began to grumble and complain against the God who had saved them. They began to take their eyes off of him. They began to say, we want to go back to our old life. It was better. It was better where we got to eat of, you know, all of the good food that was in Egypt and they forgot that they were in utter bondage. That they were unjustly oppressed, made to work under conditions that are just completely unfathomable to mankind. And yet their, their hearts were away from the Lord and, and our hearts can do the same thing. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, and um, we can look at verse 21 through verse 23. Read with me. For from within, Jesus says, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, 
envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. And, and even as believers in Jesus Christ, these um, descriptions of what comes out of the heart can apply to us as well. And so we need some care for our souls. You might say, well, I thought the old man was dead. Didn't we talk about how, how the heart has been um, taken out and the new heart has been put in? Yes, well, see, we have to understand that the Scriptures speak of our old man as dead, but at the same time the Scriptures speak to us as alive in Christ, continuing to put to death the old man, the desires of, of the flesh, it's called. We wage this battle. Our heart, our old heart, still lingers around trying to, you know, as if it was you know, under this platform, just reaching its arm up, trying to grab at my leg. The Word of God says you need to continue to put that to death. The Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 7, um, writes with some words that actually encourage us and comfort us, knowing that, that he too had these same struggles. He, he said, I, I do the things that I don't want to do, and I, I don't do the things that I want to do. Who will set me free from this bondage? And, and he knows it's the Lord Jesus Christ that one day, ultimately, will deliver him once and for all from this uh, um, heart that is inclined at times toward evil and wickedness, deceit, coveting, foolishness, pride. I've heard, I don't know, maybe you've heard, uh, sometimes Christians say, you know, I'm, I'm no longer a sinner. Have, have you heard that? Maybe, maybe you've heard somebody say that. And um, In one sense, yes, positionally it's true. In, in God's eyes, he looks at us and he sees us as redeemed, righteous, saved, no longer a sinner. But in, an, in, in a different sense, on the other hand, that's not true at all. We are still sinners because we continue to sin. If somebody tells you that they're not a sinner, just go ahead and stomp on their foot. Usually that'll at least bring out a little bit of sin. I'm joking. Continual repentance in this life is needed. What's wrong with the soul? It's not yet perfect. That's what's wrong with the soul. We, we don't love God perfectly. We don't love Him with all of our hearts, souls, and mind. And so we need to turn. We need to continually live a life of turning from sin, of, of asking God to reform who we are. We need to live a life of, of change. And some people say, well, I don't like it when you tell me that I need to change. And again, I'll just appeal to the Apostle Paul who in Philippians chapter 3 wrote that he is not yet who he one day will be. And he is setting his course in the direction of glory, knowing that he's not there yet, he hasn't attained to it. And so what this necessarily implies is that we need change. The Word of God says that He is changing us from one degree of glory to the next. We all need change. We all need change because we're fighting a battle on three fronts. When it comes to the war that's being waged in our soul, when we ask the question, what's, what's wrong with the soul? Well, first we can say, number one, my own sin. My own sin. See, sometimes I believe the lie that there's something better to be gained in following the course of ungodliness than there is to be following the course of godliness. 
I believe the lie that there's more satisfaction in, in seeking my own kingdom instead of the kingdom of God. I can be a practical idolater. My own sin can show the pride that remains in my heart, sometimes obviously and, and sometimes subtly. What's wrong with the soul? My own sin. Number two, other people's sins. Our souls get heavy and weighed down as a result of, of other people transgressing against us. It's hard, and, and life can be hard when other people hurt us, when, when, when we feel the effects of the sinful choices that other people make. And we need some soul care in that case. Sometimes number two can become number one, right? If we don't respond in a God-honoring way to these sins of other people. And then uh, number three, the third front upon which we are fighting the battle is with the effects of a sin-cursed world. What's wrong with the soul? My own sin, other people's sins, and the effects of a sin-cursed world. See, sometimes we go through trials and, and difficult circumstances in life not because of our own sin, necessarily, not because of the sins of another person, but because we live in a fallen world that is corrupt, where we have uh, things like uh, disasters and disease. And these too can weigh heavy on our heart, and these too can burden our souls, and we need some soul care for this. Our souls are beset with weakness. Some of, you, some of you realize your own weakness, but you don't have any hope for change. Some of you realize your own weakness, but you're trying to fix it on your own instead of turning to God. Some of you realize your own weakness, but you're looking to help from the world instead of from where God says that it can be found. Some of you don't want to realize your own weakness at all. Some of you, weakness needs to be avoided at all cost. We prefer to appear strong. We, we want to be independent. We, we don't want to ask for help. We don't want to acknowledge our own dependence because we think that there's some kind of shame in that. In each of these cases, we wouldn't be thinking God's way about the weakness of our soul. How, how does God want us to think? Well, Jesus tells us that to be weak is to be truly strong. Anything that reminds us that we are dependent on God and other people, listen, is a good thing. We, we don't want to be deceived into thinking that we're self-sufficient. I tell people all the time, and maybe I've told some of you, to, to acknowledge and admit that, that you're weak and that I'm weak is beautiful in God's eyes. It's who we are. That's just reality. Ed Welch, a, a writer on, on biblical counseling, says it with these words. He says, We spend too much time concealing our own neediness. We're afraid of what people will think. We need to stop hiding. Being needy is our basic condition. There's no shame in it. It's just the way it is. See, that's how God made us. God has made us weak, dependent, in need of help people. And if we can embrace that, acknowledge that, then we will be on our way to getting the kind of care that our souls 
so desperately need. That is our hope here at Harvest Bible Chapel. We want to be a people who embrace weakness, who turn to God, and listen, who help each other to love God. This brings us to our third question this morning, and this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time looking at this question. What is God's design for help? If, if our souls are weak, and if our souls are uh, in need of help, if there's something wrong with our inner man, what is God's design for help? Well, God has designed a few avenues for help. One, the Word of God. Two, the Spirit of God. And three, the people of God. The Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father and He says, Father, sanctify them, that is the church, in truth. Set them apart for holiness. Cleanse them, make them more like me, in truth. And then he says, your word is truth. And so, God has given us his word to care for our souls. And we could say a whole awful lot more about this, but I want to move on from this for for our purposes this morning. Um, and, And look at... Um, Yes, the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God is given by the Lord to help us in our weakness. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 12, Paul says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So God has given us His Word, and in order for us to understand His Word, He's given us His Spirit. And just just like the Word of God, we could say a whole lot, we could do a whole sermon, we could do a whole series, in fact, on, on how God uses His Spirit to help us in the care of our souls. But, but again, time betrays us, and we're going to leave that for another time, and we're going to move on to focus on this third arena that God has ordained for the care of our souls, and that's this, the people of God. The people of God. In Scripture, the people of God are, are commanded to exercise the one another's. These are the Lord's calling on our lives. See, the one another's, if, if you're not familiar with what I mean by that term, or, or what we would call those places in Scripture where we can turn to to see how God calls us as a church to interact with each other in life. You might be thinking of a few right now. Love one another, serve one another, help one another, right? Things Pray for one another. There's, there's actually 40 of these, more than 40 of these in the New Testament. And this is what God has called us to in order to help us. This is God's design for soul care in the church that we would have an effect on each other's souls. By the power of the Spirit of God, with the Word of God, we help one another. You might ask, well, well, come on, can't I just get alone with my Bible and the Spirit of God and figure this thing out? I'll just ask you, what do you think the answer? Yeah, no. No, I mean, maybe, sometimes maybe the answer might be maybe. You know, we, we can get along with our Bibles. We can pray and, and examine our own hearts and God can bring about some change in our lives. But often, what God wants to do is he wants us to be involved in each other's souls 
in order to bring about the transformation that he has for us. Right? And so, so I'll just ask you, like, if, if you're getting alone, right, to figure this thing out, to figure life out, and it's not working, then that means you need to broaden the circle. That's what God's word says for us. Again, I'll, I'll quote Ed, Ed Welch. He says, God is pleased to grow and change us through the help of people who have been recreated in Christ and empowered by the Spirit. That is how life in the church works. This is God's perfect plan. This is God's design for help. So we want to consider the giving and receiving of care from one another. And this giving and receiving of care from one another is not optional. It's not optional. We need to practice both and, and we need to grow at both. And, and we'll begin just by looking briefly at, at what it means to give soul care, what it means to give counsel one to another. Here's how we can grow in this area. We can, we can get better at listening. We can listen well. We can gain an, a more accurate understanding of what's really going on in another person's heart and soul so that we can then speak to them uh, in, in an appropriate way. And we, we, just, we just don't want to be like Job's friends, right, who, who come alongside and just start talking and misapplying and, and misdiagnosing. And, and that's just not helpful for people, right? So we need to be in, in the giving of soul care to another um, good listener. Second, we need to be seasoned with grace. Our words, our speech needs, needs to be so kind and and tender, it needs to be given at the right time in the right season without being harsh or insensitive to the person we're trying to care for. And for sure, when we're giving care to another, it needs to reflect an accurate understanding of what God's Word has to say. Um, again, we could uh, camp out here and talk about giving the giving aspect of soul care for a long time. But, but what I really want to do is, is look more specifically at being on the receiving end of soul care. I want to look at what it means to uh, get one another help from somebody else. I want to narrow our focus here just a little bit more. Why? Because receiving help from others is not always something that we're naturally inclined to do. Right? We, we want to appear in control. Most of us uh, want to um, um, put up a front like, like I don't need as much help as I actually need and, and that's just uh, foolish. You know, the wisdom literature of Scripture has much to say about this. Proverbs 18 and verse 1, Solomon says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Right? When, we, when we isolate ourselves, when we build up you know, that fortress, those walls around us so that nobody else can get in and nobody else can get at our heart, nobody else can see our souls, we're isolating ourselves. And the Word of God says that that is foolish. In another proverb, it says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom for the future. Listen to advice and accept instruction. This is who... God wants us to be. This is the type of person that God wants us to be. Listen to Psalm 141, verse 5. The psalmist says, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness 
Can you imagine if we thought like that? It is kind for a righteous man to strike me. It is his kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. This, this calls us to be someone. Listen, if, if we're, or maybe I'll say it this way, the degree to which we allow others to speak into our lives for the sake of our holiness demonstrates how much we truly care about our holiness. Does that make sense? If we truly and deeply want to grow in loving God with all of our hearts, our souls, and our minds, then we, we shouldn't be upset when other people help us to do that. We need to embrace this one another ministry. This is God's design for help for our souls. What I want to do is look at a few of these one another's. Obviously, we don't have time to look at all of them, but um, we want to see, well, what does this look like? What does one another ministry in the church look like? Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. What we're going to see here that is that caring for one another's soul means teaching and admonishing. Teaching and admonishing. Look with me at verse 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. If we look at this from the angle of being on the receiving end of this, these one another's, there's two in this verse, then what we can imagine is that other people are soaking in the Word of God. Other people are letting the Word of God dwell within them richly and they're coming to us to teach us and to admonish us. Teaching would be, you can think of it in this way, instructing us in the truth. And admonishing us could be uh, warning us of error. Warning us against error. We all need this. I, I, I thought of Psalm 19 where the psalmist says, acquit me of hidden faults. He's asking the Lord, God, there's, there's sin in my own heart that I don't even know about. Please clean me. Please, please forgive me. And, and you know what God so often wants to do? He wants to use other people to show us where those hidden faults are. You know, it's like, if you were um, carrying around uh, a little plastic baggie from the hardware store full of roofing nails and you're just you know, eating them for a snack and, and a brother or sister were to come up to you and say, well, what are you doing? And you just, nothing. Well, you're eating nails. No, I'm not. You need to stop eating nails. That's going to kill you. Who are you to tell me what I should be and shouldn't be doing? That, that would be absurd, wouldn't it? And yet, when it comes to our souls, when it comes to how we think, we're so reluctant often to let other people warn us and, and teach us. Some of you, there's, there's no one in your life who's allowed to teach you or admonish you. And if that's you this morning, you need to repent of that. You need, you need to confess to God that that is not who He wants you to be. He wants you to be teachable, humble, welcoming to the warnings of brothers and sisters who love you. Caring for one another's soul means teaching and admonishing. Let's look at another one. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. 
Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. The Word of God says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another. Again, uh, we can imagine ourselves on the receiving end of the exhortation. Someone else is coming alongside of us to, to strongly urge us in a direction, to, to plead with us, to beg us not to fall away from the living God, not to allow evil and unbelief to reign in our hearts, not to cease trusting in His precious promises. Maybe you've been sinned against Maybe you're feeling the effects of, of this fallen world and, and it hurts and, and you're maybe being tempted toward bitterness or, or even questioning if the Lord is really real. If He really is who He says He is. If, if He truly does have your best in mind. Are you going to let another come alongside of you and exhort you in the truth? Are you going to allow others to care for your soul. This is God's design for you and for me. I'll turn back to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at it, another of these one another's in Scripture. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Let's read. Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the one another here is to bear burdens. Being on the receiving end, this would be God telling us that we need to allow others to come into our lives to, to see our souls and to bear our burdens. And, and the context here is in verse 1, transgression, sin. And, and maybe, um, maybe Paul is talking about being caught in a transgression in the sense that you, know, you were secretly hiding a sin and you were found out. Maybe that's a sense of caught. I don't quite think that's what he means. I, I think rather he means caught in the sense of, of entangled, right? strapped in bound and feeling like you just can't get out. And he says, allow other people, if that's you, to come into your life and to, and to be God's agent of what? Restoration. Restoration, the word here used for restoration is the same Greek word used in extra-biblical literature in a medical setting to talk about a doctor who comes alongside a patient to reset a broken bone. You picture that with me. You know, your, your arm is maybe out of, of sorts and, and the doctor says, okay, listen, this is going to hurt, but what? It's for your good. And he restores the broken bone. This is what God's plan for care for us is, for, for others to come alongside and restore our broken bones, to, to restore our broken hearts, to, to give some medicine to our souls. 
in a spirit of gentleness, it says. It says we bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ but to love one another? Are you letting others love you by bearing your burdens? Are you letting others care for the mess that is sometimes your soul? Are you letting others bring conviction upon your heart? Are you letting others open up your sorrows and and guide you to repentance and lead you to restoration? This is part of God's design for the care of your soul so that you might love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. In, in all of these one another's, there is sometimes things that are hard to hear. Right? Sometimes it's, it's, I love you, but I need to tell you. And it's difficult. You know, if, we, if we continue on thinking in terms of, of uh, visiting a doctor for a sickness, you know, we, all, we go to the doctor and sometimes he does an examination on the outside. Sometimes he sends us for tests, see what's going on on the inside. And, and he says, okay, you come back and I'm going to tell you what, what the, the diagnosis is, what I've found, and, and we come back and we sit in that chair and the doctor tells us just what he saw. Would, would any of us rather that the doctor just didn't tell us what was wrong with our bodies? No, we want to know, right? We, we want to know so that we can get better. And the same ought to be true when it comes to to the care of our souls. Your attitude, your behavior, ought to welcome one another care into your life. And I want to look at just one more passage. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Just a few books after Galatians. And uh, I want to actually read a, a little bit of a longer section here just because the context is so key so helpful for us in understanding the one another's that are going to follow at the end in verse 11. Look, look down at, at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, Then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers. For that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Paul says, Jesus is coming back. Keep living for him. The Lord will return for him. Keep on waiting. And since this is true, encourage and build each other up 
Sometimes when we're suffering, we need to be reminded that God's love for us is so much better and so much wiser than our design for how maybe we thought he should have been loving us. We need to be reminded, we need to be encouraged that we don't always know what's best for our lives. And when we're weary and when we're weak and, and, and when we are just waiting for the Lord to return but we just don't know if we can wait much longer, we need brothers and sisters to come alongside and build us up again. This is God's design for love in the church. We need others to point us to God's truth. We need others to remind us of our identity. We need others to tell us that when we're fearful and anxious that God is trustworthy and has a peace to offer us that goes past any understanding. We need to be reminded by others that when we are feeling hopeless and despairing that there is joy to be found in the hope of Jesus Christ. We need others to remind us when we're angry that it's not us who should be in control, but God who should be in control. Listen, life is hard and and sin wants to reign in us. We so desperately need one another. We so desperately need others to come alongside of, of us and remind us that His greatness is unsearchable. His acts are mighty. His majesty is glorious. His works are wondrous. His deeds are awesome. His goodness is abundant. He is gracious and merciful. His kingdom is everlasting. All his ways are righteous. His steadfast love for you is abounding. And he upholds all who are falling down. We have a choice to make. One another ministry. Are you in or are you out? That's the question. Sadly, in the church, not just this church, but in the church at large, these many one another's from Scripture are often neglected. The church goes the way of the world when it comes to Seeking or not seeking care for our souls. We need to ask ourselves, why is this the case? Why is this so? Why does the Christian community so often look like the world? I'm going to offer a few thoughts here. Number one, we're too prideful to accept that we're in need of some care. We're too prideful to accept that we need some care. We all need soul care. We all need to be on the receiving end of one another love in the church. Second thought for why Christian community might look too much like the world is that our satisfaction is found in lesser things. We can be too content to love God with a lesser degree of our souls, our hearts, and our minds. We can not love him with all of our being and and we can be okay with that and say, you know what, enough is enough and and I'm just going to kind of uh, live my life over here and in these other ways. So I don't want any soul care right now. No thank you. A third reason why uh, our Christian 
community might look too much like the world when it comes to soul care is that we've been hurt before by people in the church. I know this is the case with some of you. And some have given up. Some say, I've, I've tried engaging in the one another's. I've, I've tried allowing others to come alongside of me. I've tried biblical counseling. It, it doesn't work. And sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes the one who's giving the care doesn't give it very well. Sometimes what's said or, or how it's said is, is hurtful instead of for encouragement and building up. Can I ask you guys, has anybody ever choked on a piece of food? A few of us. Probably all of us at one point in life. But we still eat, right? You know, we, we still walk around even though one time I got tripped by somebody. We, we can't neglect God's design for care in our lives because of these experiences as um, hurtful as they may have been. Maybe it doesn't work for another reason, and, and this is, um, is going to hit home for, for all of us, but maybe, maybe the one on the receiving end didn't receive it very well. You know, maybe we tried to dictate the terms of our own care as though we were sitting in the doctor's office, and, and the doctor said, um, you've got a broken arm, I'm going to need to put a cast on that, and we're like, no, nah, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe we were on the receiving end and, and we didn't see change and transformation, so we think that the process is the problem when really it was our own hearts. Listen, if, if it doesn't work, if one another's soul care doesn't work, then why would God have commanded us to do it? wouldn't make any sense. Why would God call us to something that doesn't work? This is God's design for soul care. All right, I've got um, another uh, suggestion for why uh, the church sometimes looks more like the world when it comes to soul care. And and I just want to ask you to bear with me here because this is weighty. This is going to hit home in some of your hearts. And I just want to appeal to you to hear me out in this. Just allow me to unpack something here for just a few minutes. See, sometimes soul care isn't taking place in the church in the way it ought to because we're too used to seeking help the way that the world seeks help for life's problems. We put our hope and our dependency in the wrong place. I want you to think of smoke damage for a minute. Right? If you've been somewhere where there's smoke damage, you can see the, t- the smell and, and, and the sight of, of the, s- the smoke that was there that just permeates everything around it. And, and, I, and I just want us to think about uh, soul care, counsel, therapy in this way because, listen, in, in the last couple of hundred years, this world has so influenced our thinking that we don't even realize it's going on sometimes. See, the truth is that therapy outside the church for what the Bible categorizes as belonging to the domain of the soul 
is extremely unhelpful. That's probably to put it lightly. Listen, I'll give a disclaimer here. Of course, there's times we need to go to see a doctor, even a specialist in certain areas of life. There's times, of course, when we call 911. But listen, we need to be, and this is key, please hear this, we need to be extremely skeptical of any sort of counsel that tries to influence the way we think that is not rooted and grounded in the Word of God. See, those who offer the service of therapy or care outside of the church, they view the world through a completely different lens than we do. The sinfulness of man's heart is not in their area of expertise. And certainly, nor is the glory of God. Since this is the case, soul care, or so-called soul care that happens outside of the church, excuses sin, applies labels, builds up our sense of of esteem and self-worth, It misplaces our identity. It seeks to normalize our behavior to meet societal standards instead of the standards of the Word of God. Symptoms are reduced using band-aid solutions when heart surgery is needed. Fruit is stapled to the tree when true and lasting fruit that comes out of the vine is necessary. Suffering, listen, suffering may just be alleviated but true and lasting soul care doesn't happen. At best, when we seek soul care outside of the church, we might encounter wisdom that is consistent with the Bible. But in that case, who gets the glory? Not God. Right? And, and if we're going to get consistent wisdom wisdom that's consistent with the Word of God, why not get it from the church? At worst, if we seek soul care outside of the church, we will be conformed by wisdom that is contrary to the Word of God. And that is extremely dangerous. One writer said it like this, We who know the Lord, who have His Word, and who are indwelt by His Holy Spirit, are entrusted with too many heavenly resources to be mocking about with the utterly bankrupt wisdom that is the best that this world has to offer. We err seriously if we ignore the scriptures and the power of God. Well, you might be wondering this morning, well, am I part of the exception? Is, is my problem that I'm going through, is that a soul problem or, or is it something else that, that needs help outside of the church? And, and I would just offer to you this simple grid. Very simple. Ask other spiritual people what they think. Don't make these decisions on your own. Seek the help of of those in the church that that you know are walking closely with the Lord, who who study His Word, who, who have His Word dwelling rich within them. Let them into your problem. Let them into your heart and say, here's what's going on and I'm not sure what kind of help I need. What do you think? Would you humble yourself? to do that. 
Well, those are some reasons why maybe soul care might not be happening in the local church. And as we close here this, this morning, I just want to share with you simply what the elders are praying for soul care here at Harvest. We're praying for biblical soul care. We're praying that we would be a church of one another's who are caring for each other's souls as a way of life. We're praying that all of us would allow our friends and our family and our small group members and our small group leaders and and our pastors and, and elders and ministry leaders to speak into our lives in meaningful and powerful ways that affect change at the soul level so that we would love God in deeper and deeper ways. You say, well, that's, that's a lot of different people. Are you, are you sure? I, th- I thought counseling, I thought soul care was just for, for those who are trained, those pastors and, and those who, are, who have a, a certificate on, on their wall. Now, now listen, there are times when, when um, intensive care is needed by, by someone who has more experience. But, but listen to this. Uh, one writer said it like this, and I, and I think it, it very much gives an accurate picture of what the Word of God says, and it's this. God is pleased to use ordinary people, ordinary conversations, and extraordinary and wise love to do most of the heavy lifting in His kingdom. Paul wrote to the Roman church, and he told the church, he he didn't just say this to to the elders and and the, the leaders of the church, he said this to the whole church. He said, I am confident that you yourselves are able to instruct one another, able to counsel one another. We're able to come alongside and and have an impact on each other's lives. And listen, when we do this as a way of life, when, when this becomes our church culture, then those severe, more intense needs of our soul are actually mitigated. Because we've allowed the body of Christ to have an imp- impact and influence on our lives so that our sin doesn't take us as far as it wants to. We're praying for informal care to be taking place on a regular basis. We, we're praying for formal care that it would be helpful for those who have uh, great needs and, and, and are suffering, maybe entangled with great sin or, or struggles and sorrows of this world. But listen, we, we need to share with you that even, even in that, there, there is um, what we're seeing, great benefit and value to, to still including the one another's in this care, in this type of care. And so, so we might um, advise that you bring a friend, that you bring someone from your small group, someone from the church along with you so that as we offer care for your soul, they walk out that door with you and they walk arm in arm with you to help you in this life as a brother or sister ought to do. We're praying for people who will do this, who who will come alongside and be part of, of God's design for soul care in the church. Lastly, we're praying that we would have such a high commitment to the Word of God and such a great dependence on the Spirit of God that we would be a people who will point to and be pointed to Jesus through much prayer, love, patience, compassion, and humility. 
you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Let's help one another to do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we are weak and dependent on you. Lord, we acknowledge that we need help. We need care for our souls. And God, as we've seen this morning, you have designed, yes, your word, yes, your spirit, but also your people to have an influence on our lives. So God, we ask that you would humble us, that you would make us a ready people to receive this care that we so desperately need. God, would you conform us to your thinking? Would you shape us according to your word? Would you give us a discerning heart? Would you give us souls that are growing in our love for you? Would you help us, God, to offer our lives to you? Because you are so worthy a Redeemer. God, we look to you now. We offer thanksgiving for what you've done. And we ask, God, that you would continue to work in our hearts in great ways together. In Jesus' name, amen.